We've come through the Easter season. Uh, we sidetracked there for a while with Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday last week, but now we return to numbers. So I'm going to do a lengthy reading here. We're going to read number 16, 1 through 40. So if you would turn there, we will, we will read this passage. It's an interesting passage. And uh, instead of just picking it spot by spot, I'll just read through verse 40. Number 16, Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and of the sons of Peleth, son of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him, that, that one whom he chooses he may cause to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all of your company, put fire in them, put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow, and it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourself, you sons of Levi. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you that God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord? and to stand before the congregation to serve them. And that he had brought you near to himself, you and your brethren, the sons of Levi with you, and are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us out of the land flowing with milking honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? And they're speaking of Egypt there. Egypt was never a land of milk and honey. But anyway, verse 14. Moreover, you have brought on us, brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have given us an inheritance of fields, vineyards, Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry, and he said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they, as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord, 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. 
So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourself from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with the whole congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up, that all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, swallowed them up with all their household, with all the men, with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all of Israel, who were found uh, who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censer of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censer, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companion, just as the Lord has said to him through Moses. What an event. Moses and Aaron, they have been challenged by Korah, and 250 tribal leaders known as men of renown. Korah has a claim against Moses, and he says, You and Aaron, you take too much upon yourself. You take too much authority upon yourself, Moses, and you bring glory to yourself. 
And then in verse 3, all the congregation is holy before God. So, Moses, why do you exalt yourself above the people? Moses has a counterclaim. We read how Moses got angry. Korah, you sons of Levi are the ones who take too much upon yourselves. So the very thing that Korah is accusing Moses and Aaron of, Korah and his followers are guilty of the thing they accuse Moses of. Moses, he asked Korah and his group who appear as deacons, as best we can tell, they're doing the work of deacons there at the tabernacle, and he has a question for them. Is it a small thing that God has separated you unto himself to stand before the congregation and to serve them? Is it a small thing to serve others? Well, the answer, of course, is no. It is never a small thing. When we're too big in our britches, you might say, to serve just one, then we're not like our Lord. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water or just a cup of water to one of my little ones, you do it as unto me. But in verse 15, listen to how Moses prays, not for Korah, but against Korah. He says, God, do not respect, do not honor their offering. Moses is saying, I am innocent of all these accusations, God. And when we hear that, we, get, we have to take into account that Moses is a friend of God. Moses spoke to God as we would speak to one another. Moses spoke to God face to face. Now we hear Moses calling on God against Korah. David, in Psalm 58, 6, he prays against the wicked. And David says, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Wow, okay. <laughs> I never want any person like Moses or David praying against me. I don't want anyone praying against me. Uh, Moses warns the people. He says, get away from Korah. And then we have Moses explain the test that is going to be coming upon Korah in verses 28 and 29. If Korah and his friends, if they die naturally, if they die a natural death, the Lord did not send me. That's pretty heavy. Verse 30, but if the Lord creates a new destruction for Korah and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them whole along with all their belongings, their tents, their animals, their children, their wives, everything, this will be proof that these men have rejected the Lord. Sometimes we get tested. People come against us, but I never want to see the earth open up and swallow somebody. <laughs> Korah has rose up against God's chosen leader, and that is Moses, and God takes it personally. 
That's interesting, that God will now be Moses' defender. In the book of Acts, and I want you to turn there. We're going to be in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 9. I believe it's chapter 9. We'll chapter 7 first. But anyway, in the book of Acts, we have Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul the Apostle. And he's on a mission. Saul is out to destroy this new group, this new sect of Christian believers who are ill infiltrating the Jewish religion. And Paul and the Jewish leaders don't like it a bit. Saul, he's there on the scene when Stephen, the anointed deacon, you remember how deacon was full of the Holy Spirit and appointed to be a deacon. Stephen is accused of blasphemy by false witnesses before the high priest. Stephen will give his defense, and he lectures this assembly of the Sanhedrin, these Jewish leaders, and he lectures them on their history. And he starts with Abraham, and he goes down through the Exodus with Moses. And Stephen gives his sermon in Acts chapter 7. So in Acts chapter 7, all of the Jewish leaders are listening to, to Stephen until he hits this series of verses starting in 51. Stephen begins to name names. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels, but you haven't kept it. And when they heard these things, when these Jewish leaders heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin, and when he had said this, he fell asleep, or he died. Verse 54, Stephen has so upset these Jewish leaders that they rush towards him and gnash at him with their teeth. When you don't have a weapon, you resort to things like gnashing at people with your teeth. What a scene. And they rush him and they're actually chewing on him. And Saul is there. And Saul is taking all of this happening in intently. And we see that they lay their garments at 
Saul's feet, and he's the one who is guarding their clothes. Saul is ambitious. And Saul will now head up a persecution against the church that we will read about in chapter 9. So a lot of reading, but we're setting the scene here. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 6. Then Saul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, the Christian way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Verse 1, we have threats of murder and threats of persecution. And these are not idle threats by Saul. He has the Jewish leader's permission to imprison people and kill them if he seems if he deems it necessary. Saul is ambitious. He is driven to persecute these new believers wherever he may find them. And he's on his way to Damascus. And then suddenly a light. It shone around Saul from heaven. And this light is so bright, it knocks Saul to the ground as he retells this account later in Acts. A light so bright that he fell down to the ground. And a voice comes out of this light. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Think back to Korah for a minute. Korah is not persecuting, resisting Moses and Aaron. Saul is not persecuting Christian believers. Both of these men are persecuting and rejecting God. Jesus has said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul understands this light, this voice is the Lord. He knows it's God. So he asks what we would think may be a strange question. He says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus did not say, well, if you look deep within yourself, think about what you've been involved in, you will understand who it is speaking to you. No, not for a moment. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Right there. And he says, it is hard. And it's not a question there. It is, a, is it hard? It is hard for you to kick against the goads or the sharp sticks that they put behind an oxen. Back in Numbers, Moses has told Korah and his follower, if the Lord creates a new thing, 
and you're swallowed up by the earth and you go down alive into the pit, you will instantly understand that you have not rejected me, but you have rejected God. It's never a small thing for us to reject the voice of the Lord regardless where it comes from. And in Korah's case, God is speaking to him through Moses, his servant, and Korah will not hear it. So Korah has rejected God, not Moses. As soon as Moses quit speaking, the earth opened up and swallowed them in one big gulp. I'd like to see what Hollywood would do with that, you know. But anyway, the earth closed back over them, and their cries are so loud, so uh, abundant, that the entire congregation becomes afraid. The last cognizant thought in the mind of Korah as he goes into the pit is, I have erred greatly. That's his last thought. I blew it. And God simply erases Korah and his family from the face of the earth. Just think about it. Earth opens up, they fall in, God closes the earth. No more Korah. When we purposefully reject God's servant, and as truly a servant of God, we are rejecting God. I don't like that sometimes because I find myself being a judge of who is a servant of God and who isn't. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be that judge. But Saul of Tarsus, before his conversion, he's been impacted by the man Stephen. This deacon Stephen has had a tremendous influence upon Saul. Stephen's witness has Paul questioning all he stands for. Therefore, when Saul is knocked to the ground by Jesus in the bright light, trembling and amazed, Saul instantly understands that I have been living in complete disobedience to God whom I claim to serve. That's quite an awakening. All of Saul's life has come together in a moment, and it's not a good moment for him. Well, it turns out to be a good moment, but anyway. And what Saul sees, it amazes him, and as he understands, it terrifies him, the path that he is on. Saul knows in an instant, in a moment of time, that he has lived a life completely wrong. So he's amazed and he trembles. Now Saul had a very alert and quick mind. Saul was considered, Apostle Paul was considered, one of the great thinkers the world has ever known. It's, it's been said that he had one of the top ten minds in the world. And Saul instantly understands he has a responsibility because now he knows who God is 
but he doesn't know why God has singled him out. So he asks. That's a good thing to do. Ask questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? By calling him Lord, there's surrender there. I will do what you now desire me to do. Saul understands Jesus has not appeared to him without a cause. So Saul asks his question. And this whole appearance by Jesus to Saul is what some people consider a near-death experience. Some of you know of Don McClure, uh, a pastor of, of some renown out in California, great speaker. If you ever get a chance to hear him, Don always has something to say, Don McClure. He tells how he smashed up his little sports car one night, and he smashed it up so drastically that the police asked him as he sat on a curb who was the driver of that vehicle, and they didn't want to believe it was him because he was still alive. Consider for a moment, Saul is knocked to the ground by a bright light. Light so intense that it knocks him to the ground. And now Jesus speaks to him from this light. This bright light could have been the first microwave. It could have fried Paul right there like a strip of bacon. It really could have. If a light is so bright it knocks you to the ground, caused him to be blind, it could do more damage. And so Saul says, what would you have me do, Lord? I myself have been spared by God in a car accident. A car accident that should have took my life. Here's the point. So my life is no longer my own. And I still ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's one of my constant questions as I try to be a pastor here. Lord, where do you want to lead us? Where do you want to take us? Which brings me to our scripture reading of this morning. We were all bought at a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which is God's. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, have been spared death by our Lord. So each and every one of us need to ask, Lord, since you bought me, since I owe my life to you, since Jesus purchased me on the cross, Lord, what would you have me to do? We've just had two examples. You got the camp of Saul versus the camp of Korah. Saul says, what would you have me do, Lord? Korah went down into the pit. A few years ago, when we were down on the parkway, I got a call from a family whose daughter had just been in a terrible car accident. They had rolled their car end over end seven times. 
And I go to the hospital that morning and all of the family is outside of this intensive care room. And it's the only time I've come to these kind of restrictions on visiting someone. Usually as a pastor, you can bypass all that nonsense and just tell them, hey, I'm the person's pastor and they let you in. But they were letting visitors in 10 minutes, two visitors, 10 minutes every four hours. One of the parents wants me to take one of their places to go in and pray for their daughter. I entered this room and this young teenager, her head is severely swollen. It was huge. And she had these zipper stitches all over her face and all over her head. They had her in an induced coma. So I pray for her in hushed, kind of quiet tones, and I leave. On my drive home, I confessed to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you don't touch her, she's a dead girl. Several days go by, and I'm expecting to hear from the parents that our daughter passed, but several days go by, and I go back to the hospital, and I'm amazed at the turnaround in this young girl. God has touched her, obviously. She's alert, she's sitting up in bed, and she's even joking with her sister who's there visiting her. And so I'm talking with her, and she fully understood God had spared her life. And I was in agreement with her. And I began to explain to her, God has spared your life, so you now have an obligation to live your life for God. And I told her, you need to pray a simple little prayer here, and you need to ask the Lord what he would have you to do. And whether we realize it this morning or not, we have a choice to either live for God seeking out his will for our life, or we can be like Korah, or we can be like Saul. Saul persecuted the church, but Saul became the great apostle Paul, the greatest missionary this world has ever known. And he completely changed directions when confronted by God on the road to Damascus. Now, we all can't be the Apostle Paul. And I love to say this, the most you can be is what God has called you to be. That is the most you can be, but be that. But all of us should be asking Jesus the same question Saul asked. Lord, what would you have me to do? And I can't answer that for you. I can't. But the Lord can. And he will guide you and he will direct you. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, first of all, we want to thank you for sending your son to pay the price for our sins. You took us from death to life with Jesus at the cross, and we thank you for that. The, 
the obligation that is upon us once we understand that we have been bought is the same ones the Apostle Paul had. Lord, what do you now want us to do? And whatever that is, Lord, we want to be obedient to do that. We know you love us. We know you will go with us regardless what you ask of us. But, Lord, we should be asking, what would you have me to do? So I pray for myself. I pray for these, your people. Be gracious. Show us what you would have us to do. And give us the heart, Lord, that heart that wants to be obedient to you and will be obedient to you. Hear our prayer, Lord. You heard Moses when he prayed, when challenged by Korah. You heard Saul on the road asking, who are you, Lord, and what would you have me to do? And we're glad you hear us this morning. Our hearts cry out to you, Lord, what would you have me to do? Make it plain to us, Lord. Make it obvious. And again, we pray that our hearts would be obedient to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.